everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy, even in infertility. So our guest today, her name is Ashley Watton, and y'all, she is just the sweetest person. So I spoke with her for the very first time on this interview call, and I guess we were best friends in another life because we had so much to talk about. We eventually just had to cut ourselves off. She had so much to share about her story and what God is teaching her. So I actually broke our conversation up today into two parts, so two episodes. Part one, Ashley shares her 15-year journey with infertility that actually started when she was a teenager. Listen, if you're dealing with chronic illness, endometriosis, hyperthyroidism, or maybe you're just on the search for doctors who will actually listen to you, you need to hear her story. Part two, we're gonna dive into what it was like for Ashley to share her story publicly for the first time just a few weeks before this interview and what God is teaching her before her story has the perfect ending, right in the middle of her sickness, right in the middle of her heartache, right in the middle of her infertility. I don't know if I will ever feel better on this side of eternity. And I don't know if I will ever have a baby, but I know, I know that He is not only present, but He is acting on our behalf and that He's working for our good. Oh man, it's one thing to say those words when you are living in the miracle, but when you can say that where she is in her situation right now, it's just so powerful. So I can't wait for you guys to hear her story. So let's jump right in. Hey, Ashley, thanks for joining the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are my first guest who's like an internet friend. I just, you're a friend of a friend, I guess a friend of a trainer of my (laughs) past trainer. And I read your blog last week, you shared your story and we just quickly connected and here we are. So I'm so excited that you're here. I am really excited to be here too. I'm loving the whole internet friend thing. I feel like ever since my sister-in-law and I started our blog, I've started gaining some new friends from all over the country. It's such a fun, such a fun part of it that I didn't even realize was going to be a part of it. (laughs) Yes. Technology is amazing. I will never, I mean, it's got its downfalls, but man, it's so cool. I love being able to use it. So tell us a little bit about yourself and you mentioned your um, blog too. So I want to hear all about that as well. Yes. So um, I live in Fort Worth, Texas with my husband, Trey. He is amazing. We've been married for about four years and I work from home. So in my, I guess you could say day job, I'm a freelancer and I support small to medium sized businesses. And I like to say I do a little bit of a lot. So social media management, (laughs) blog management, I work on some podcasts. So like I said, I do a little bit of a lot and um, kind of as a side passion project that maybe one day will turn into a job. My sister-in-law and I, um, her name's Sarah, and she is, was your trainer, your CG trainer. So that's our connection Mm -hmm. point. But my sister-in-law, Sarah and I started a blog back in December and it's called Simply Sisters Collective. And it's something we started really just as a way to share what's going on, what we're learning and things that we're loving in an authentic way that we hope is an encouragement to women as they're trying to navigate life and living well. And really, it was just something we wanted to do together. We actually live back to back. So 
Sarah, <laughs> we're kind of, so cool. yes, we're those people. Sarah was my best friend prior to her marrying my brother. I kind of made that happen as best I could. So they actually live right behind us. We have a gate between that yes, connects, our, back- gate. Yes, it connects <laughs> our backyards and our husbands actually work together. So our whole lives are intertwined. So we thought, why not just you know, create a blog so we can share all of that. So it's been a really fun project to do together and we're learning a lot and growing a lot through it. And it's just been a blast to work on that with my sister. Now I have a sister since, (laughs) since she married my brother. That's so cool. And we'll, and I'll put that in the show notes, the link to that, but y'all her blog, their blog is so cute. Like I just look at it sometimes just cause it's so pretty. (laughs) Like it just makes my phone look pretty. Oh, well, thank you so much. Y'all done such a great job. Thank you. We cannot take credit for that. We had an amazingly talented friend who did our branding and just hooked us up with the site design and it, that's awesome. She's amazing. Well, so last week you've shared um, on the blog a all of your story, all your fertility journey so far. Yes. So go ahead and share a little bit like what you um, what you had written about. Yeah. So I decided it's something I had kind of been wrestling with for a while. I my story really goes back a long time, um, just with my health journey, and I'll share a little bit about that, but. The Lord just kind of placed it on my heart that I needed to share it, share my story publicly because there are so many people in waiting. And me specifically, right now, I'm in waiting for a baby and in waiting to feel better from some of this health stuff. But Mm -hmm. I knew that there were so many people and so many of my friends that are in waiting in other areas as well. So my hope really in sharing it was that those that are in waiting could be encouraged. And so I felt like I was supposed to share it for a while and it took me about two months to actually do it. But I did it. Um, And so, yeah, my story really kind of honestly starts about 15 years ago. And so 15 years ago, I kind of started this health journey. I had gone on a mission trip to Mexico, came back with, we don't know if it was a parasite or some sort of uh, bug that I had gotten, but I got sick and I never really went back to normal after that point. And so mm-hmm. there were years and years of specialists and all of this kind of stuff, appointments. I left college twice um, in those years because I was so sick and we were trying to figure things out. I was going to doctor appointment after doctor appointment. And so all that to say, we eventually discovered after probably about six or seven years, I always kind of lose count, but we figured out that I had celiac disease. And this is after being told, you know, you have Crohn's disease. We just can't find it. (laughs) I was like, if you can't find it, that's not what it is. And so, you know, Crohn's disease, uh, colitis, irritable bowel, they kind of threw everything at me and, um, none of like, none of the treatments were working, none of that. And so eventually went to a new specialist who diagnosed me with celiac disease and cut gluten from my diet and started to feel a lot better, but there were still some lingering issues. So, 
We don't know exactly when some of my other issues that we've discovered more recently started, but we kind of believe some of these started back when that initial, when I initially Mm -hmm. got sick 15 years ago. So that's a little bit of background. Uh, But in 2011, I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And I know many people listening to to this podcast are probably very familiar with endometriosis, but I... Uh, had the surgery done, obviously to diagnose and also to get rid of it. And mm-hmm. like anyone who has been diagnosed with endometriosis, you see that one of the main, like probable symptoms or possible symptoms is infertility or trouble conceiving. And so at that time, I was just a year out of college and I of course was afraid, but also was determined to not let that fear consume me or drive anything. And so, um, we managed it with birth control for a very long time. And then in 2014, I got married and everything had kind of been controlled up to that point. But Mm -hmm. about three months into marriage, sex started to become excruciatingly painful, which is what you were still on birth control. Yes. I was still on birth control at that time, had been continuing to do everything, um, that I, I, you know, that I was supposed to be doing, staying on the birth control, all that good stuff. But I, uh, I mean, it was terrible. And Trey and I had waited until we got married and we're newlyweds. And all of a sudden, (laughs) we, I was like, nope, this is not happening. (laughs) So we uh, initially kind of tried to work through it. Wasn't sure if it was maybe just some psychological stuff or, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. some delayed, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? But it just didn't get any better. Then my periods started to become irregular. They started to become more heavy. And so the writing was all kind of on a, birth control. Yes. All on birth control. This is crazy. Yeah. And Which so, is supposed to fix all of this. Yes. Well, <laughs> okay, and keep going. Sorry. I talked to my gynecologist a lot about it, you know, through the months that we were working through all this in 2014, but she had told me, you know, birth control helps slow it down, but it's not going to necessarily keep it at bay mm. forever. And so that was her thought was just that. Okay. I had been on and yours it. was just that strong yes. that it was coming through it basically. Yes. So I had had the surgery back in 2011. Here we were three years later and I was back to having those issues. And so we kind of talked through all of the options and she said, you know, I, I would rather not do the surgery again. There's these injections we can do, which are called Lupron injections and their sex hormone suppression. So essentially the way she described it to me is your body is going to think that it's in menopause, which, okay, geez, <laughs> that does not sound like fun. But for me, I kind of weighed the risk of not doing it and my desire to have a baby in the future and said, Mm -hmm. okay, if that's what we need to do, then we'll do it. And so I, so the Lupron is supposed to keep it at bay and make sex less painful. uh, Well, yeah, it's supposed to basically shut everything down in a way. And so that you're all of that, you're 
um, reproductive system is basically asleep. And I guess it kind of works itself out, kind of helps keep it at bay. I, and I don't know this okay, for sure. So it's like a major shutdown yes. versus birth control is more than just a slowdown. Yes. Okay. So, and I'm I, tracking. I don't know all the ins and outs, honestly. It's been so long since we, um, yeah, there's someone in the medical yeah. field going, oh my gosh, you guys she's like, don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that girl's listening. She's like, oh gosh, they don't know anything. <laughs> but I, that's okay. But I, and honestly, I think some of it is I just shut it out because. I will be honest. It was a rough process. We started out, I tend to be very sensitive to medications. And, you know, when they say, here are the potential side effects, usually I'm going to have at least one of those. And so with this, Mm -hmm. we said, okay, we'll go ahead and start with a one month dosage. And then the next time we'll do three, because I think I had to do a total of like six months or something. And so we did the first month. Mind you, at this time, we had moved to Abilene, Texas, which is a smaller town in West Texas. Mm -hmm. We were newly married. My husband had taken a new job. I had left my full-time job, was working from home and knew no one. So this was not an ideal situation (laughs) to be putting myself through menopause (laughs) at this time. (laughs) Just not a lot of emotional support readily available in Abilene. So we did the shots and we, I think, ended up doing the one month dosage and the three month dosage, and then said, we cannot do this anymore. I had really uh, strong side effects with them, was having terrible mood swings. My poor husband, who is a saint, would come home and I would just be sobbing and I would be like, you know what? I don't know. I, there's nothing wrong, but I just can't get it together. <laughs> um, I was having night sweats. I was having just all of the side effects basically that they told us, you know, you could potentially have, I was having. And so we got to the point where it was just wreaking havoc on my hormones. And we said, enough of this, we're going to go ahead and do the surgery again because, and the main reason that we had gone in or the main symptom that had caused me to go in was the painful sex. None of that Mm -hmm. was changing. And so for me, I was like, I don't even know if this is working. And so we went in and they were able to laser off, you know, the endometriosis that was there. I still don't know if the Lupron injections helped. It may have helped some, but there was still endometriosis present when they went in and lasered it all off. So Mm. we walked through that and then was put back on birth control. So like I said, we were in Abilene at the time. We were in a transition uh, in our lives as Trey was taking a new job. I, we were, we knew we were going to be in Abilene for short, a short term period of time and that we would be coming back to the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex after that. So for us, it just wasn't great timing for us to start trying. And so got put back on the birth control and our hopes were, okay, within the next couple of years, we'll start trying and hopefully this will kind of keep everything at bay and we won't have any issues and all of that. And so through that, and I don't know if the injection started exacerbating things, I, you know, who knows what was going on in my body, but a couple years later, or a year or so later, I started experiencing some really severe GI stuff again. I started 
just feeling so tired all the time. I um, was just struggling, honestly. My joints hurt, my muscles hurt. I just did not feel well. And so started seeing some GI doctors again, was going to my just primary care physician and asking like, hey, I have a family history of thyroid disease. Can you maybe run some thyroid panels? All that to say we weren't really getting any answers. And through this 15 years of being sick, so first really with that initial celiac and with the endometriosis and then um, just with everything that I've experienced over these years, I feel like I do this thing where I will be really sick, I'll start trying to get help, and then I'll get not really get any answers. And then I'm ki- I just kind of convince myself like, well, I can just, it's fine. Lots of people probably feel like this. I'll just keep trucking along. Is this just like the new normal for exactly? I know with my age, like I always felt that way. Is this just what it's like to be 25? And the answer is no, yes, it's not. Well, and you convince yourself of that, I think, out of just a survival mechanism of okay. Everyone else lives life and can get through all of this. I can too. They don't have to take five-hour naps every day. Yes, exactly. And so anyways, I would go through kind of these cycles of trying to figure things out and then just honestly getting discouraged and stopping. And so anyways, I'd kind of been in one of those stages for a while where I hadn't really been actively seeking any, uh, you know, medical help out um, when we started trying to get pregnant. So we started trying to get pregnant at the end of 2016. Um, And by June or July of 2017, I can't remember the exact months if I'm not looking at what I wrote down, but we decided, well, we had moved to Fort Worth and I had decided, you know what, if we do get pregnant in the next little bit, I want to have already established care somewhere. Um, and also just with my history of endometriosis and the fact that I don't really feel like I'm super healthy, you know, I have all of these recurring issues that always pop up. I'm going to go ahead and go and establish care at this midwife practice here in Fort Worth. And I'll just talk to them a little bit about where I'm at and see what they think. And so I went to that appointment and it was really encouraging. I absolutely loved the midwife that I saw and she, you know, gave me a lot of practical tips and suggestions. And one of the main ones was that I left my job. So when I moved back to the Dallas Fort Worth area, I had gotten a full-time position and it was a really stressful job. And once we moved to Fort Worth, I also had a very long commute that was just putting a lot of stress on me. And so Mm. therefore my health really wasn't doing super well. And so we decided, okay, that's going to be our first practical step. And then she said, you know, I am concerned because you do have this history of endometriosis and all that. So if you're not pregnant in the next couple months after you've left this job, you've made that transition, come back in and we might want to just start talking about testing we want to do. The next few months went by. I quit my job. I was working from home, trying to reduce all the stress that I could, which when someone tells you to try to reduce stress or stay like chilled out, it has the opposite effect, (laughs) I think a lot of times. But I did all that and we still weren't pregnant. So my husband and I went in and talked with her 
And unfortunately, no fertility treatment or um, even testing is covered by our insurance. And so, which is very common. So we had decided. Yes, unless you work for some really great organizations like Apple and Starbucks. Which is, man, I just like applaud them so much for coming. Oh, we've thought, my husband's like, are you sure you don't want to go get like a part-time job at Starbucks? (laughs) I love it. Hey, that's not a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah, it's something to think about. But we we decided the first step we were going to take was just blood work. My, like doing blood work for me because honestly, it was the most cost effective way to get, hopefully get a few answers. And through that blood work, she determined that I did have Hashimoto's, um, which I had asked my doctor before to test and come to find out when I had asked my primary care physician and it's no fault of his, he's not a thyroid specialist. Um, he didn't run all the panels. Um, And what I've learned through research now is that with Hashimoto's or with anything really, but with your thyroid, there is such thing as normal levels and then optimal levels. And so when you're looking at the range, you can be quote unquote within normal range and be at the very end of one of those ranges and you're really not in that normal range. And so that's kind of what was happening to me is I was getting passed off as normal, but I was right at the edge. Um, But when they ran my thyroid antibodies and all of that, they were very high. And so that led me to going to a specialist. I spent many hours researching to find someone because as I was starting to just do my initial research on Hashimoto's, I was learning that even if you just have antibodies present, it can majorly affect your fertility, not to mention if your thyroid is not in those optimal levels. And so, and through all of my experience with getting diagnosed with celiac, I knew I needed to find a physician that I trusted that was going to do a thorough job. I didn't want to be bounced around for years, not really getting an answer or just be just getting a bandaid put on a problem that was really there was a root cause that we could have been addressing. And so that led me to my current physician who I see through telemedicine. um, And she has been so thorough and she's found a lot of connections through uh, just different things that I'm experiencing that can be either A, explained by Hashimoto's or B, she's you know, discovered, no, there's actually another underlying issue here that we need to address and fix so that your thyroid can be like uh, functioning at optimal level and all of that. So we have found a lot of answers through her. But to be honest, we've found even more questions. For example, some of my GI stuff isn't just, we just can't quite explain what's going on yet. We have not given up hope. We're still going through all the testing and all of that. But with that, because we've been given a lot of answers, but even more questions through those answers, um, my doctor told me back in January that we need to put having a baby or trying to conceive for on hold for six months. And, Mm. you know, that is not what you want to hear from your doctor, um, But it's one of those things I knew, you know, that if you're experiencing all these health issues, if you get pregnant, 
there's a very good chance that all of those things are going to be exacerbated. And at the same time, right. it's going to throw everything off. And so all the testing that we're doing, you know, it kind of has to be put on hold until ev- after the baby's born and all of that. So it's something that I logically knew in my head. And I think I knew was coming, but it was just mm. something that when she told me, I remember it was towards the end of one of my follow-up appointments and it was just over the phone because we were just talking through a few results. It wasn't a long appointment. And at the end, she said, by the way, I really need you to put trying to conceive on hold for six months. I think she said three to six, mm-hmm. but then was like six months. And I remember just going, okay, okay, okay. And like getting off the phone as get fast phone. as I could, putting down the oh, phone man. and just sobbing. Because for me, I've been in this period of waiting to be healthy for 15 years. And then now waiting to have a baby for a year or waiting to get pregnant for a year, which for a lot of people, you know, it takes so much longer for them or they've been in waiting for a baby for so much longer. And um, I think for me, just that year has been compounded by such a long season of waiting in general. Just It was like you knew 15 years ago yeah. that there's going to be trouble. Yes. So you have been waiting Yes. and you know that it's not a quick fix. Like the wait is just beginning kind of. Yes. So how did you, you broke down, cried, <laughs> told your husband, <laughs> like, are you, so that, are you on birth control? No. So, uh, basically with just everything going on, getting put back on birth control is just not a great option for me right now, which, mm-hmm. um, just because of what it does to your hormone levels yeah, and we're trying to sense. regulate all you need of to find that. Your baseline, yes. Basically. Yes. But with that comes a lot of fear of I've already been off birth control for a year and now we're adding at least another six months onto that. And so what is that going to do to my endometriosis? And so they're definitely, I mean, and that's kind of what rushed into my head initially when I was told that, you know, when I hung up and just started sobbing, it was, I feel like waiting for me to get healthy is just waiting for my endometriosis to get to come back and to get worse. And so we've had to definitely pray through a lot of that fear. Mm -hmm. I've had to fight through just wanting to be able to control everything and knowing that I can't. Um, So it's been a process. And yeah, I called my husband sobbing. He, I think, thought like I had been in a car accident or something because I could not even get out words. Um, And it it Mm. honestly was pretty devastating for us. And I had to call my sister-in-law and be like, I just need you to come over. And I just need to like, yell at someone not at you but just yell (laughs) with you yes and so yeah it was it was a little bit of a blow for us especially after just you know the road that I've been on health-wise and then the road of wanting to get pregnant for about a year at that point when she told us that that's so hard 
I feel like endometriosis is like a, it just makes you feel like you've got a ticking time bomb inside, like relax and don't stress about getting <laughs> pregnant, but you need to hurry up and get pregnant because your endometriosis will come back. And then when it gets back, you got to have surgery right. again. It's just, there's no easy way to find it, which by the way, like that needs to be fixed. <laughs> we need to figure out how this thing can be found without surgery. I have said that because <laughs> yes, that's annoying. Yes, I have said that so many times. I, the fact that that's what you have to do to find it, I think is why so many people don't know that that is an issue for them. And yes, I agree with all of that. The ticking time bomb thing is definitely true. And my, I remember my doctor telling me from the very, like when I first got diagnosed, when I was a single girl right out of college, like, Hey, just so you know, you need to try to have a baby earlier in life rather than later because of this. And I was like, I don't oh, even gosh. have a boyfriend right now. Like, <laughs> What am I supposed to do with that? And so I think that's another thing. You start to hear all of these things that just continue to play over and over in your head if you let them. And it's totally the enemy, like allowing or placing those thoughts back there on that replay so that you start to believe lies, you start to doubt, you start to fear totally. It's, it's a hard thing um, to just yeah. feel like you're waiting to, you're waiting for that ticking time bomb to come back. Guys, what a journey. 15 years is a long time to be sick and to not have answers. But here's what I love. Ashley is not allowing this to break her. Does she have hard days? Yes. Does she wish that this wasn't her story sometimes? Of course. But does she still trust God? Absolutely. So now that you've heard her backstory, I want you to listen to how God is using this in her life and how she's processing this with him in part two. So go ahead and jump on over to the next episode.